Hey, hey, it's a wonderful day. We are back here for another episode of That 90s Baseball Pod, and it's a fun one today. We've got a special guest. You know me as your host, Brandon Warren, at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E, and as usual, I am flanked to my right or to my left or however you see it on your YouTube screen or your podcast listening device by former Orioles closer Greg Olson at G-R-E-G-G-O-L-S-O-N-30 on the Twitter machine. What's going on today, man? Uh, nothing. I'm just excited to have a former uh, former teammate on with us today. Yeah, we got we got some fun stuff today. Uh, people might have figured it out if they're watching on YouTube who's on today, but if you're listening, we're not going to make you wait too much longer. Hopefully you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, wherever you are, give us a five-star review. But let's not dance around the subject at hand. Our guest today, you may remember him from a fairly long time with the Orioles or a brief time with the Milwaukee Brewers. It's Ben McDonald, right-hander out of LSU, number one overall in 1989. Mr. McDonald, first of all, thank you for coming on the program. My pleasure, guys. Oh, uh, good to see you. Good to be with you. Of course, nice to meet you and, and, uh, and see an old buddy, an old teammate of mine, old Greg Olson, too. So looking forward to it. And I'm hopeful yeah, I can just – no, sorry, I didn't mean to jump on you there. I, I'm hopeful I can just play a fly on the wall here because I love listening to baseball guys tell baseball stories, and hopefully I can just kind of be the Ricky Rubio to your Kevin Love and, uh, and Carl Anthony Towns, where you guys <laughs> can be the stars and I'll just be the facilitator. <laughs> But uh, we do have to do some housekeeping. Um, first of all, uh, Greg, so we talked about hats last week. I'm wearing the black Access Twins one. I think you got a black one too, right? Yes. Okay, so we've got gray for Access Twins, and we've got gray for that 90s baseball pod. If anybody's interested in those, uh, hook up with me on Twitter, and we will get you figured out. It's uh, 20 bucks that's shipped, or if you are a Patreon customer we call you our patron uh, patreon.com slash that 90s baseball pod at a bunch of different levels uh hats are on a couple of those too um epare one of our sponsors i got my mug today finally remembered to uh have the cup of joe in there but uh epare uh promo code 10 t90 bp10 for 10 percent off your order uh symbol.app is the stock market for sports use the promo code bender like a curveball for a week free of symbol gold hinterland coffee which we're drinking today uh hinterlandmn.com 10 percent off a monthly subscription three star sports cards in the twin cities here or three star sports cards.com and finally uh, we've got the humility chain that i'm wearing today is a white one kind of getting a little echo here hopefully people aren't hearing that as well but um yeah royce lewis's mom makes these so uh Humility Chains on Etsy for Nigu, helping children fight cancer. All that aside, I'm, I'm really happy to, and excited to get into today's episode. Uh, first of all, Ben, you know, I, we know Greg's been keeping busy with some, uh, some Orioles TV stuff and some Little League World Series. What keeps you busy nowadays, um, you know, with your big league career in your uh, rearview mirror? Well, I kind of do the same thing Greg does. Um, Busy during the college season, uh, doing SEC Network stuff. And then, uh, you know, I'll do some digital stuff at LSU early in February, just kind of catching up with the local team 20 minutes down the road and kind of get the feel for what I'm doing again. And then uh, this was the first year I actually transitioned into doing pro ball while the college season was going on. So it's been steady for me. 
I was just telling Greg before we went on, you know, I'm going back to Baltimore one more time. I have nine more games to do, but um, it's going to be a total of about a hundred and almost 140 games this year between college and pro ball. And that all started in mid February. So to say the least, I am looking forward to ending the season and getting some time away from, uh, from the game of baseball. Although I love the game of baseball, uh, you got to push back from it occasionally. So it's been a long year, but looking forward to the all season for sure. For sure. Greg, Greg and now, uh, you, ben. The guy, now I was going to say, if you haven't got a chance to follow Ben on Twitter, um, very entertaining. I saw it, uh, it was the rattlesnake <laughs> yesterday or two days ago. Yeah, man, I was up at the farm. I, I came home. I had six days off, so I ran up there to try to get some stuff done, get ready for hunting season. And, of course, you know, the snakes are out this time of year. And I was cleaning up after the hurricane up there and pulling some limbs out of the way and pulled a big old limb off of one of my trails. And underneath it was this this giant of a rattlesnake. Scared the you-know-what out of me. Thank God he didn't get me. He didn't strike at me. He was all coiled up. And so, I, yeah, I put it on, on Twitter and, and social media. But he was, he was a big one, man. I, I, I don't miss the sound of that in the woods. If you ever if you go to it and listen to it, if you ever hear that sound in the woods, you're in the wrong spot, I'm just going to tell you, because he was rather pretty good. <laughs> well, for us here in Minnesota, I think that's the uh, the howl of a timber wolf, which, uh, you know, Minnesota timber wolf. Yeah. That's well, I think yeah. I think that's that's kind of similar, probably not exactly the same. But, uh, yeah, I, I dropped the ball here. At Real Ben McDonald on Twitter, people got to follow you on there. Um, I did see too, you got a bell sent to you in the mail from a Mississippi state fan. Um, I do have, a you friend. know, I did go ahead, I, go ahead. I have a friend, uh, Johnny Watson, whose wife works at three star sports cards, one of our sponsors, and he is a huge Mississippi state fan, loves Brent Rooker with the twins and all these guys. So he's going to love to hear oh, this. Yeah. Side of, he's going to love to hear this story. Yeah. You know, um, I'm a big Mississippi State fan, too. I mean, coming out of high school, of course, living 20 minutes from LSU, uh, I was recruited hard, obviously, by LSU. And I, I really narrowed all my choices down to Mississippi State, LSU, and Texas. Uh, yeah, I love the University of Texas for whatever reason at the time. They had a cool basketball, baseball program. And, and Mississippi State with Ron Polk at the time, and Greg knows this, I mean, they were the kind of – they were the team – in the SEC in the mid-80s, you know, it was Clark and Palomero and Thigpen and Brantley and, of course, Ron Polk, and they really put SEC baseball on the map. So I considered Mississippi State hard come out of high school, uh, even took a visit over there, stayed on the weekend, but then, then some guy by the name of Skip Berkman took over at LSU, and, uh, like, his second year there, and LSU goes to the College World Series for the first time. That was my senior year in high school. So I go, okay, this Berkman guy might be on to something. Maybe he'll be pretty good at what he's doing at LSU. So I end up going to LSU, and Skip ended up being pretty good, obviously, with five national titles. But, you know, Mississippi State had been a long time coming, and they win their first national title. So about a month ago, I got a random box in the mail. It didn't have an address on it, which was strange. The only thing it said uh, came from the university, somewhere around the University of Starfield, just opened it up, and it's had a card that said, Hale State with the championship bell that I have I got it on my uh on my shelf over there you know so it was good to see them win look and Greg knows this it's been a long time coming and and they probably should have won one along the way maybe with Will and Palomero and all those guys and they didn't and uh so good for them I'm happy for their program I mean because here's the significance of it it's the first national championship in any sport at Mississippi State and that's why it's so significant because I think everybody that's ever put on a 
of state uniform in any sport can appreciate and, and loves this championship, along with all the fans that's ever attended any Mississippi State event. When you win your first one in any sport, it's a special one. So good for them. I mean, it's one of the top programs in the country, and, and I've always been a big state fan, and uh, it's always fun when LSU plays Mississippi State. Good stuff. Yeah, no, Mississippi State was uh, – I took my recruiting trip, so I'm a year older than you. So I took my recruiting trip to state and Auburn. I did Arkansas, Tennessee, and Arizona. And uh, when I went to state, Will Clark took me out. And I'm sitting there looking around the room going, okay, this is the best team in the country. But yeah. all, you guys are, all you guys are leaving. Right. I, was like, so, well, I was like, so what's going to happen next year in the next couple of yeah. years? Right. I was kind of looking around the room going, I don't know if they're going to be very good for a little while. So I'm, right. I, went to, I went to Auburn. And, and, uh, but it's funny to hear that you, you, know, you uh, did the same thing where you looked at Mississippi State going, man, that's the class of the SEC. Yeah. Uh, I got I to at least take a look. Sure. I mean, look, I, I was like you, and you, you always want to play at the best program, you know, and I really wanted to stay in the SEC, although the SEC wasn't really considered a baseball conference then, you know, it was more still football conference with Mississippi State kind of putting it on the map, you know, and then all of a sudden Skip Bertman comes along in my time and we start going to a few, you know, uh, World Series along the way and then other teams get involved. And of course, it's built to what it is today, which is, you know, the number one baseball program or conference in the entire country. You know, it's big time college baseball now at its best and it's uh, it's fun to watch. But um, I'm just happy for, for Mississippi State and I feel like Ron Polk had a lot to do with this one. I know you love Coach Polk too and Coach Polk was – part of our Olympic team and in 88, you know, he was one of the coaches on it with Bertman and Mark Marcus was the, uh, you know, was the head coach of that team. And so it was good to see Ron Polk. Of course, Ron Polk, as you know, is back in some capacity working for the university as well over at Mississippi state, which is, which is nice. So good for them. Good for John Cohen, who we played against too, who's the athletic director. And uh, so I'm happy for him in in a lot of ways. Now we just got to get Ole Miss one, maybe get Auburn one and we can just keep clicking along the way. (laughs) Amen to that. Well, I, I ask, I got, guys, I feel a little overmatched because of your guys' broadcasting chops, but I do want to ask, and hopefully it's not too far off the topic, but um, how hard has it been to broadcast off-site compared to on-site mm. with the different events that you've done? Because, um, I mean, you've done college stuff and, and Greg has done Little League stuff. I guess that means Greg's got to get on your level, but um, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, you, you bet. Uh, if I if I can't bust your chops, what am I doing here? Um, but I feel like yeah, there's uh, there's got to have been at least a, a moderate adjustment period or a, a certain level of difficulty that uh, you, you still feel today. Yeah, you know, um, it's difficult. I mean, you can get used to anything. We know that. And I'm sitting in my office right now where I have a camera uh, behind me and a and a light and a monitor here, and this is how we called college baseball this year, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, this was it. And I think most everybody has one and, you know, it works. Um, it's nothing like being at the ball game as an announcer. We feed off the enthusiasm of the crowd. We can see what's going on when I'm watching on the monitor, like I'm sitting here in my living room. Uh, you can't always see a ball that gets down the line. I can't tell if the runner at second base got a good jump on a base hit the right field. And that's the reason why he got thrown out of the home plate. Or that's the reason why he was safe at home plate. There's a lot of things that I can't see. Um, Doing Oriole stuff and doing 81 games on TV with them, it's diff- it's different there because I get to go to Baltimore, and when the game's at home, we call it like a regular game. I can see everything, but we're not traveling with the team. So when the team goes on the road, we just turn around in the booth, 
and we just call it off a monitor like I'm calling it right here. And so it works. It's not ideal, I guess you could say, because there's some things that you just miss if you miss being at the ballpark. And I think the enthusiasm and feeding off the crowd is probably one of those biggest things, whether it's a home crowd or an away crowd, you kind of feed off that as an announcer. So there's challenges uh, for me for doing it. Um, but at the end of the day, I get it. It was about COVID last year. And, you know, who knows what the future holds? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hearing rumor that this may be the future of college baseball, unfortunately. Now, we did get to go to the College World Series. Um, we did get to go to the SEC tournament and call those things in college ball live. But there were no regionals. There was no super regionals for us although the girls got to go to a super regional so i didn't quite understand that but it is what it is uh on the softball side i guess it's two different uh people making decisions between softball and baseball uh but who knows what the future is and this could be the future of college baseball and college softball i hope it's not because i think it's the product is just better when the announcers are there but you know we'll have to wait and see what happens totally totally agree i thought i thought the hardest thing for me was to uh know when my partner was going to start talking i was i, I felt like i was we were tripping over each other you know i, I did the uh did the texas regionals and got a little help from a couple former teammates i'm going to see if this thing will spin around but it will so there's my pile of uh espn gear waiting on um waiting, <laughs> on, waiting on all the next uh all the next gigs so you know, they told me to hang on to it. I did the uh, Field the Dreams thing uh, on radio, and it felt like I was tripping all over Roxy Bernstein the whole game. It yeah. Was just, it, was, it was awkward. It's a challenge, you know, because there's a little bit of a delay. And when we're sitting in the booth together, I could reach over and tap you, and you know that I'm fixing to talk, and I'm fixing to handle this replay or whatever. We couldn't talk to each other, and so – I remember doing a super regional here. I was with Clay Mavic, and, and we were – the game was going on in Nashville. Clay was in Minnesota. I was in Louisiana, and the producers were in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, that's just a train wreck. <laughs> it's just a train wreck waiting to happen, you know. But, look, we pulled it off, and it is what it is. And, and, and the truth is the majority of the fans I don't think even knew or don't know a lot of times that we're not at the ballpark. But there's no way you'll ever convince me that the talent being at the facility, at the event, does not make – the broadcast better, you know? And so I think these networks are going to have something to weigh. They're going to weigh, okay, is it worth, we think it being a little bit better versus us saving a little bit of money or, you know, where is that going to be in there? You know, so we'll have to wait and see how it all pans out. I'm hoping, you know, obviously COVID begins to go away at some point and we can kind of get back on the road, calling games on the road where we should be. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the hope for, even even me as a fan is I, I know how much pride broadcasters take in their their craft. And I'm friends with a lot of the guys who do the twin stuff, whether it's Dick Bramer on TV or Corey Provis on radio. And they talk about how difficult it is to, to do their job remotely. They, they're not it's not that they're not gracious for the job they have. It's they want to do the best job they can. And the, the resources just aren't sure. there right now. You know, so um, Ben. Yeah, it's hard to compare. It's hard to compare. You know, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's lay some groundwork. You grew up in uh, in Louisiana and were uh, drafted by the Braves out of high school. But I, I want to go back a little further than that into what was your immersion into baseball like? Because, I, I mean, I have to assume you were a pretty big kid. So the idea that you were going to be an athlete was probably in place pretty early. 
Yeah, you know, I was like a lot of kids. I mean, we, we whatever the season was, we played the sport, you know, and I had a bunch of buddies, and I, I, I live in a suburb and grew up in a suburb of Baton Rouge, about 12 miles east of Baton Rouge, and one high school, two junior highs, and three elementary schools in our in our hometown. But all the buddies I grew up with, when it was football season, we played football. And then, then it was basketball season, we played basketball. And then when it was baseball season, we played baseball. And that's just what we did. And uh, I even played a year on the golf team, uh, tried all kinds of different things. I just I just loved to play. Uh, I was athletic, and no matter what sport it was, I wanted to play it. And so that's kind of what we did, you know. And, and I, I grew up loving all three sports, and uh, football, baseball, and basketball, and excelled in all of them. You know, I was a bigger kid rather skinny but a taller kid and so uh but you know one sport helped me do another now bus- basketball really helped my coordination my agility i think that helped in a baseball sense of helping me being mechanically sound at six foot seven and being really tall mechanics can get out of whack pretty quick but my coordination on the basketball court helped me in that avenue i also thought football helped with toughness you know you get your you get your butt knocked off a few times. You figure out who you are. You get punched in the mouth a few times. Well, you figure out who you are. You learn how to punch back. And so I think all those things taught me and rounded me into an athlete and a tougher athlete, if you will. And and it helped me in my baseball career. Now, the truth is I love basketball. And basketball is my favorite sport growing up. And I actually went to college. Not many people know this, but I actually was more heavily recruited out of high school to play basketball than I was baseball. And I went to I had over 100 Division One offers to play basketball all around the country. And I loved the game of basketball. And finally, I went to LSU because Dale Brown was there and Skip Burton was there and the basketball program was established. But I quickly realized when I got to bat- basketball and started playing LSU that the boys on the court could dribble it up the court faster than I could run. And I said, you know what? Basketball just might not be for me because they're pretty good. And so, and plus, I went off the summer ball after my freshman year at LSU, and I went and played in the Alaskan Summer League, and uh, I got up to 98 miles an hour after my freshman year, and I kind of knew, okay, baseball's probably going to be uh, my ticket uh, to make it to the next level or make it to the professional level, you know. And so I went back and played a little bit more basketball my sophomore year until baseball season started, and like they said, the rest is history after that. Was there ever any chance you were going to sign with the Braves or was that uh, just a, Hey, thanks for that. But we're going to go in another direction. I didn't want to sign. And here's a funny story behind that. So I was 18 years old, man. I wanted to go to LSU and play basketball and baseball. I did not want to be off on my own for the first time going to play pro ball. And the Braves, Bobby Cox was the GM of the Braves at the time, you know, and, and they called, they drafted me late. Because I told them before, I told everybody, look, I'm going to LSU. Seriously, I'm, this is no negotiation. I want to go to LSU and play basketball and baseball. Well, they drafted me late in the, I don't know, 20-something round, and they called, and all of a sudden the money the money numbers started going up. Like, they got to $75,000, which at the time was second-round money. And if you got $100,000, that was back in first-round money at the time. And I remember my dad said, boy – Boy, if they get to $100,000, you sign. I was like, no, Daddy, I don't want to sign. I don't want to go play pro ball. I want to go to LSU. I grew up going to LSU football games. I grew up going to LSU basketball camps. I, I, I grew up sneaking in Alex Box Stadium in a hole out in right field wall. As a kid, I'd sneak through and wouldn't pay because I didn't have the money to get in. And I'd watch LSU play baseball when I was in junior high with some buddies of mine. I didn't want to play pro ball. Thank God. 
they never got to a hundred thousand dollars or my dad probably would have made me sign, you know? And so it all worked out and uh, got to go to college for three years, got to play on an Olympic team and, and was drafted three years later. How did you sneak anywhere at your size? <laughs> well, in junior high, I was only about six one. So oh, I wasn't quite okay. as tall as I am right now. So they had a hole out in, 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 the, in right field at Alex Box and Greg's been there. The old, the old box is not there anymore. It's a parking lot for, uh, for football games now on campus. And uh, so I could always sneak in the back and walk along the, where the bullpens were and get into the ballpark without paying. You are the exact opposite of probably every high school baseball player in the country, <laughs> you know. I, I, wanting to go, wanting to go to college, not wanting to sign. I mean, I, I remember, you know, it was kind of the same thing. I didn't get drafted out of high school, but guy, teams came in because they knew that I was going to college because of my my parents. And right. uh, it was it was kind of comical because I'm like going, but yeah, but I want to go. I want to go. And the, you know, my my dad's going, okay, if you get to a hundred thousand, we'll let you go. And you know, never got to never got to that number, but it was kind of right. the same view. And uh, it's just funny hearing you go, but dad, I want to go to college. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't, I didn't want to go for the schooling. I wanted to go play sports at LSU. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I grew up, I tried to convince them, look, can I just go to LSU and just play sports? I really have to go to class. It's like, no, Ben, you got to go to class too. I was like, damn it. But <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just grew up a fan of LSU. I grew up right here. I mean, I'm literally, you know, 15 miles from the ballpark here. And my mom and dad had season tickets growing up to basketball and, and football. And, and so I always wanted to wear the purple and gold, man. I just was a, I was a fan of Billy Cannon when I was a kid. And when, when he ran that punt back on Halloween night, you know, and it just, uh, I, I don't know, it still gives me goosebumps today. So I always wanted to put the purple and gold on. Nice. So you in the 27th round. It's actually kind of funny. There's some parallelism there. With uh, you were pick, oh, they don't have the numbers here. Oh, no, they do. You were pick 670. Uh, pick 682 actually beat you to the major leagues and was in the same draft as you the next time around. Do you remember who that was? Of course you do. Uh-uh. Don Olerud. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he went, he went to the Mets, uh, foreshadowing there as he ended up playing with the Mets towards the end of his career. But um, they took him out of Interlake High School in Bellevue back in the day. And then obviously the rest is history as far as him going to college. And if I'm not mistaken, skipped minor league ball altogether. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah I, I think Old Roots went straight up in 89. He was in my draft. And, uh, yeah, I think I spent 10 days in the minor leagues and got called up. And I think he, he, went, straight, he went straight into the, to the big league level. That's right. Yeah, That's I right. think Abbott, Abbott – Came, went to spring training and came straight out and made it to the major right. after, after doing the Olympics with you. That's right. That's right. Abby did that too. And it's not been many guys that have done that in recent years, you know, um, uh, it's getting, it seems to be rare and rare, although there's some talent, I think they could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I just don't think they're, they're going at, you know, we've gotten so much caught up in starting the clocks now, you know, and these GMs with these teams, you know, they're looking at it, although the basic agreement, you know, is up this year, so we could have some new stuff out there. But as of right now, they don't want to start the clock, so they want to give them service time until, you know, they can push them back so they're not two-plus players and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a lot of that going on now, whereas if you get drafted by a team that can really win right now, you could see some kids come up really quick and potentially help in September, you know, and do some things like that. Yeah. I think uh, – I think no, Mike – I mean, that's – 
Go ahead, Brandon. Well, I think Mike Leake skipped the minors. Otherwise, you're talking about guys like Chris Sale, Brandon Finnegan, who played very little time in the big leagues. Yeah. But um, yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna do a minor league, yep, exactly. If we're gonna do a minor league episode, probably not gonna have either of you guys on here because you don't have much to say other than maybe uh, later in your career or rehabs because uh, you guys spent a combined maybe half an hour in the minor leagues, which is uh, is pretty awesome. <laughs> I think the no. best one still might best best one still might be Clyde Wright coming out of uh, coming out of high school and going straight to the big leagues with Texas in like 1970. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember and then that went, name. And then sure went to dude. prom after. Yeah. Right, exactly. Go to the big <laughs> leagues. You go to prom. I'll hit graduation after the World Series. You know, whatever. So when we started this show, we talked about Greg's time at Auburn and obviously playing with Bo Jackson and Big Frank Thomas. Um, you know, you had some pretty awesome teammates at LSU too. Uh, Albert Bell obviously comes to mind. Uh, and you played with his brother, Terry too. I see. Um, sure there, was, there was actually a podcast and I, I hate to bring it up, but it's called crime in sports where they had an episode on Albert. So, so I learned a lot more about Albert than I knew as a kid that, uh, that I didn't know back then as far as uh, trick or treating and that sort of thing. But, um, uh, back in those days, I, <laughs> Back in those days, I think he was Joey or maybe he was between names. Um, but, I mean, so the year you spent with him, he had a 1,200 OPS. Was he just absolutely terrifying at the plate? I mean, in the big leagues, he obviously was. But, I mean, this is a, this is a grown, yeah. grown-ass man, pardon the familiarity, with an yeah. aluminum bat in his hands. Yeah. That's got to be terrifying. You, you best described him. He was a grown-ass man with, with kids. Um, I played with and against a lot of people from college up through the big leagues. And he still, to me, is the most terrifying hitter that I can ever remember. And, and I faced some good ones, including Frank Thomas and Bo Jackson and all of them that you want to name. But Albert, Joey, Jobert, whatever you want to call him, is a <laughs> bad man, I'm going to tell you. And, and he, look, he turned down a, a football scholarship to Notre Dame to play baseball at LSU. That's what kind of athlete he was. Um, and I'm going to tell you something else that not many people know about him, too. Valedictorian of his senior class in high school. Wow. Straight-A student. Went to every class at LSU. Never missed a class. Was an honor student at LSU. Never missed a class. One day I was with him. Got up every morning, went to class. When he, a good dude off the field. When he crossed the white lines, he turned into a different dude. Uh, it was uncontrollable at times. Um, but as far as a talent goes, I don't know that I've seen a talent like that in a long time. And let's be honest about this. I think he had 386 home runs in his career when his hip went out on him. At the yep. rate he was hitting home runs, you give Albert Bell another three years in the big leagues, maybe four, three and a half years, healthy years, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer all day long. That's what kind of talent he was. And – uh, he could run, he could throw, and certainly he could hit, you know. And uh, so, you know, good dude. I hate what happened to him. He, he's obviously got some issues, and he had those issues at LSU. And and I'll be honest with you, and Greg knows this, LSU probably wins the College World Series my freshman year. Two things happened. Our very best pitcher, Mark Guthrie, got hurt right at the end of the year, who ended up pitching mm-hmm. about 50 years in the big leagues. Albert Bell, because of his issues, Skip Burtman finally kicked him off the team. So we lose our best pitcher, and we lose our best hitter, 
as we go to the College World Series my freshman year, which was Guthrie's senior year and Bell's junior year. If we had those two guys, we probably win the College World Series, you know. And so it was disappointing in a lot of ways. But, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, to see him go over the fence at the SEC tournament, I was pitching that game. And I remember there was a guy heckling him out in the outfield, calling him the worst names you can imagine. And I hear time when I step off the mound – and I see Bell go over the right field fence. Like, in the middle of the game, he jumps over the right field fence and goes after this guy in the middle of the game. And that was kind of the last straw, and that's what got him kicked off the team, you know. And so it's sad in some ways, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, he was – I mean, he was every bit of Frank Thomas, you know, for, for us. And uh, I, played, I played with him actually in 84 on the junior Olympic team. That's right. Mm-hmm. And – the dude was a dude, and it was funny. You see, you said it exactly right. He crossed the white line, and there was a switch that was flipped, and he was just a different animal than he was in the clubhouse, you know, walking yeah. down the street. It was just a different animal. Very intelligent guy, very intelligent, and, you know, he, he really played the game of baseball with a football mentality. That's what he was. He was a football player playing yeah. the game of baseball, and – that's what he really probably should have done, although he's pretty good at baseball. But, you know, you remember him in Baltimore when he got hit by the pitch and didn't want to take his base. You know, I'd already left Baltimore. I think you were gone too. But he got hit by a ball in the middle of a game and didn't want to take the base. He argued with the umpire. He wanted to stay there and hit. That's the kind of guy he was, you know. Just, yeah. he, he got off the hook a little bit, you know. But you'd like to have him on your team because, like, he wasn't ever giving away anything. Like, if he got 600 at-bats in the season, he was out for blood for 600 at bat. Yes. Like, you know, he wasn't giving away nothing. So I like to have him on my team. I love to have him on my team because he was that kind of competitor. Now, he would get off the rails a little bit and cause some issues from time to time because uh, who knows? He might have been mentally unstable. Who knows? But that song Gunk could compete, man. He could compete with the best of them. You know, it's funny. He he is, you know, we, we talk about how the game is and you can't slide into second base now. You can't wipe out a catcher and how the game's completely changed. And all I want to do is go, all right, check out a video of Albert Bell running over Fernando Vina at second base. And I was like, that, for some reason, that started the discussion of, well, if he's in the baseline, it's just like a catcher and you can run him over, right? And so all, all, every team started having this conversation in spring training about, well, if you're going to run into a tag at second base, you might as well do what Albert did. And so it became it became kind of a league-wide. Every second baseman came into the baseline and was like, oh, crap. Yeah. I, might get, I might get Albert. Right. You know? And so that, that whole tagging tag the guy for the easy double play just stopped. Yeah, no, that, that ended all that, you know. And that's why you always got to be prepared because, you know, and I played with Fernando. And Fernando's a little bitty dude, you know, and I, I remember seeing him like, dude, what the hell were you thinking? He said, man, I, for, <laughs> I, for, I forgot who was running. I said, clearly you forgot who was running, you know, and he's like, I'll never make that mistake again because I remember the first thing hit the ground was the back of his head, you know, it was like, yeah. but, but Bell's, you know, Bell at the time was, you know, at that time, probably 6'3", 240, and it wasn't, all, wasn't no fat on him. Like, he was put together from the beginning, you know, and so it is what it is. He, that's how he played the game, though, dude. Like, he was going to get you. Like, if he was angry, that game about whatever, he might have punched out twice. He was going to get somebody if he could. That's just the way he played the game, you know. So you had to be on your toes with him. Yeah, but, I mean, the other piece of that, he wipes out Vina, 
And then he picks up his helmet and goes to the dugout. Doesn't yeah. look at him, doesn't stand over him, doesn't mm-hmm. do anything that you see in a college football game with a little bit of, I just ran over you. It was, yeah. well, I, I got to get my helmet and I'm out. So I'm just going to go walk it across yeah. the field. It was, I have was taken, it's like I have taken out my aggression. I taught you a lesson. Don't be in the baseline. <laughs> I'm happy with all that. Now I'm going to take my helmet and go back to the dugout and get a cup of water. You know, that's, that's, that was just him. Yeah. Yeah, Vina almost became the first on-field fatality in 70 years there. That was um, that was really something. Yeah, I, I'm glad you answered the, the part about uh, – you, you answered it before I could ask about if you want to be a teammate with that guy. Uh, yeah, football seems like it would be more his speed. I don't think I'd want to be a, a tight end or wide receiver com- coming across the field. He's, he strikes me as a middle linebacker kind of guy without those smarts and um, that aggression, but also uh, – yeah, kind of playing with like one screw completely unscrewed and the rest of them a little bit loose. Yeah, no, there were some screws loose in that skull. I'm just going to tell you. But as a teammate, I liked it. But you knew in the clubhouse, like I was a joker and Greg will tell you that. Like I like to mess with some people in the dugout or in the clubhouse for whatever reason. And sometimes in the dugout when I wasn't pitching, I'd, I'd pull pranks all the time. He was one of those dudes like you just wasn't going to mess with because you never <laughs> knew. He he may laugh and think it's funny, but on the other hand, if you caught him on a bad day, he may tie you in a knot, you know, and so it just, you know, you just didn't know. So he's just one of those guys I just kind of left alone. You know, I didn't mess with him a whole lot. Well, you could have been the other fatality. So that would have been, uh, <laughs> exactly. that would not have been great. Um, you also played with Guthrie. Yeah. A guy I'm familiar with as a growing up a twins fan. And then, yeah, like you said, left yeah. his pitch. You'd almost think Greg was oh. a lefty for how long he hung around, too. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that staff, the staff that you guys had at LSU, I was just kind of running through. You had Springer, you had Manuel, you had Guthrie, you had you. Maybe, you know, other than you, the next best guy that I don't think he made it was, was Kite. Yeah, Dane Kite, and, uh, you know, if our left-hander, Greg Patterson, doesn't get hurt, I think Patty had a real shot of making it to the big leagues, you know. And uh, But, I mean, in our time at LSU, we won on pitching and defense. You know, we were pitching. Even my junior year, we had me, Springer, Paul Bird, Chad OJ, Kurt Laskanik, um <laughs> at least five big leaguers on a pitching staff, you know. Yeah. We had Keith Osick who played 10 years in the big leagues. And so, you know, it wasn't until after I was gone that Gorilla Ball got introduced, you know, and they started winning games by outslugging everybody. But it was all about pitching and defense because that was Bertman's specialty when he when he first, you know, left Miami. He was the pitching coach. And when he got to LSU, he wanted to build a program around pitching and defense. And it worked. And it got us to some college World Series. But then at the time, we couldn't win them. We just didn't really have enough offense at the time, you know, and then the offense would start to come later on. So, uh, yeah, we, we had some very talented players, and Skip could always recruit uh, at LSU. So it's a good time. You know, it was, it, we, were, we were the kind of the stepping stones of what would come in six national titles. We kind of helped put LSU on the map and talk about the Andy Galleys of the world and Greg Patterson's and Pete Bush's and, and, and Albert Bell's and Jim Bowie's of the world, all those guys, Jeff Yurton. You remember Reveille and Yurton and all those guys. Those were the guys yeah. that first put LSU on the map, and nobody knew what was going to, what would come after that. Nobody had any idea that there would be five national titles in a 10-year span from Bertman. But it was cool to kind of watch it go from absolutely nothing to, you know, where it is today. It's funny, uh, you know, you talk about all those guys, and I, I keep thinking of Michael Papa, John, out in center field for you guys for the, yeah. I think, two years. 
And now, he, and then he plays Tuttle on uh, for the love of the game as the Yankees yeah. three hole hitter. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, he's never seen a three hole in his life. Never, never. You know, Pop. <laughs> funny story with Papa Johnny. I don't know how many, and I still stay in touch. But he's been in I don't know over a hundred yeah. movies, little bits oh. and pieces, Spider Mans and Terminators and all Predator. those. He's got parts. Yeah, yeah. He's got parts in all those. But he was his senior year at LSU, and they were filming on the football field. He was still playing baseball, but they were filming on the football. The um, what was it called? It was it was really every, about Billy every, no, everybody's everybody's all American. That's it. And so Papa John, they were like, "Hey man, he comes in the clubhouse. You know, Papa John's always jumping up. He goes, "Hey dude, look, they're paying a hundred bucks for extras to go out on the on the football field and put some uniforms on and just get clobbered, just get hit." I was like, "Okay," and he goes, "I think I'm gonna go do it." I was like, you are out of your mind. I was like, they're going to just train wreck you out there. And sure enough, <laughs> he showed up the next day. I mean, he got out. His helmet was on like this when he would get up. Like, they were hitting him so hard, his helmet was on sideways. He showed up the next day. He was just one big bruise. Like, they just beat him to nothing because he was on all those big hard hit scenes, you know. But he kept going back. They kept paying him $100 a day. He was loving it. And he's like, man, this is what I want. That's how he got his start in Hollywood. Yeah. Really, he's kind of like doing the stuntman thing. And being the, the guy that got beat up all the time. And now, of course, it's evolved into some speaking parts, a lot of speaking parts and doing other things. So good for him. You know, he, he's, he's having a good time doing it. Yeah. No, I, I've talked to him every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, so you guys listening to this, you remember Tuttle, the, the three-hole hitter for the Yankees, is Michael Papa John. Also, he goes by Papa John in the movie, um, uh, not Waterboy. God, what's a uh, – Football movie. He was, with, in, uh, he was in Waterboy too. Um, I can't remember what party was in Waterboy, but he was in Waterboy too. He was in that one. I remember that one. No, but the uh, um, Sandler remake of the Burt Reynolds wow. Longest Yard. Longest yeah, Yard. He, yeah. Yeah. He was actually Papa John in Longest Yard, guarding the uh, guarding <laughs> the, the six foot eight inmate. Yeah, he was. He was one of the security guards. What he was? Yep. Like, yeah. 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 Ran, yeah. He ran. A kickback. <laughs> wow. Oh, he was the best man. He was Tucker Kane in Little Big League too. I, I remember that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's I one mean, that one that's real close to that, my that heart. Year. That was Ben First, Centerfielder. That was my centerfielder. Yeah, I remember in 1990, right after that, he was out in L.A. trying to make it, and my phone rang at the hotel. We didn't have cell phones in, and it was Papa John. He was out in L.A. He's like, dude, I got nowhere to stay. He's like, I've been out here trying to get, get a job in this acting world. I got, I'm sleeping in my car. He says, can I come sleep on the floor of your hotel room? I was like, dude, we're, we're in town for three days. I said, I'll, I'll change rooms. I got a double bed, two beds, change rooms, and he slept in my – he's nice. still so thankful for that day. He, he was sleeping in his car out in L.A. just trying to make it. So he had a bed to sleep in for three nights. So I was glad we were out there. Anyway, I got to catch up with him. That's awesome. So, this, all right, back to baseball. Yeah, well, this question might go somewhere and it might not. Um, there was an assistant coach there named Beetle Bailey while you were at LSU. I mean, there's got to be a story behind that name, doesn't there? <laughs> Beetle Bailey was my high school coach. No kidding. Um, here in Dedham Springs. And he was a tough son of a gun. And he grew up, I grew up going to his baseball camps uh he was like the athletic director of my high school right here and uh the year before i went to lsu he went to lsu 
uh, as an assistant coach. Uh, <clears throat> everybody says it was a package deal. I cannot yeah, confirm. they do. I cannot confirm nor deny that. Um, the <laughs> reason why he ended up at LSU. I think you're but, out of the, uh, the range of sanctions or anything, at least for, for the time being. <laughs> but I had nothing to do with it. I'm just going to say it like that. Uh, but anyway, of course, he's, he's since passed away. Unfortunately, he got cancer and died. But right. he was a big part of my life and, and a big part of, uh, you know, shaping me as a high school baseball player and just a tough, tough guy. i tell you funny, Greg's probably been there. One time as a sophomore in high school, Ball hit to the right side. I didn't cover first base. Uh-oh. And guy was safe over there. And when I got back to the dugout, that's when they could put their hands on you. When I got back to the dugout, he grabbed me up by my 100 and – well, my six foot five at the time, 160-pound frame, and probably just picked me up like this. And he was only 5'7", so he, he actually pulled me down to his level. And when he got through chewing on me in front of everybody, God, the fans, and everybody that was there, I never, for the rest of my career, which would last another 12 years, every time a ball was even hit that way, I flinched and ran that way because of that man, you know. And so you learn, you know, there's one, always one instance in your career that, that, that you remember a lot. And he taught me right away, and I never forgot to cover first base after that. I did it 100 times after that probably, but – it's just one of those things like you just don't forget an ass chewing like that. You just don't forget it. Uh, that's great. Well, I feel like you can't be called Beetle Bailey and be a, a well-mannered uh, church choir boy. So you got to be kind of. And I'm a, I'll be honest with you. He was Beetle Bailey long before I knew him. And I, and honestly, I don't know how he got that nickname. But it, when I was like in grade school, he was called Beetle Bailey. And I still don't know why. He, I was scared to ask him how he got the name, to be honest. That's probably fair. Um. <laughs> When did you and Greg become aware of each other? Because you, you had a little bit of overlap. Um, but, I mean, you know, this wasn't the era where there was uh, television for a lot of these things and Facebook and, you know, just the awareness. The awareness had to have probably been either um, beforehand or, or more organic from just playing in the same conference. How did you become aware of each other as players? Well, I mean, I – you know, in the SEC, you know who the best players are. And when you're going to play certain teams, you know, I knew I knew that Frank Thomas and Greg Olson was was at at Auburn, you know, and you hear across the league where the better players are. We knew down in Georgia there was two first-rounders and Chris Carpenter and Derek Lilliquist. Like, I knew those dudes were down there. I wanted to be like one of those. Those guys were older than me, you know, and Greg was one year in front of me. And so I remember Auburn came to uh, – and I remember Greg had been on some – some USA teams and that kind of stuff, which at the time, you know, was a really big deal back then. You know, back then, if you were on a USA team and or an Olympic team, that was a big deal. Now it's just like there's USA everything. Now, like there's a, a billion kids playing USA ball right now, so you don't know who's who. But anyway, um, I knew Greg was on one of those teams, so I remember they came to Baton Rouge. And if I'm not mistaken, Greg, I know he remembers, I think Auburn swept us at home. I, Greg might have had two saves and a win or two wins and a save coming out of the bullpen all three games, you know, and it's like, I mean, I knew at the time, I was like, Jesus, when he came to the game, I was like, all right, you know, he got a, that hook and throwing a fastball hard. I'm like, we got no shot, because we couldn't hit then anyway, you know, when he came in the game, shit was over, like it was over. And so I, that's when I first got, got word of Greg, you know, and 
Of course, Frank Thomas was a, with an aluminum bat. I mean, you knew about him too, 6'5", 260, and with them hot bats, you know, like those bam-bam bats that they swung back then, you know. It was like, it was a scary situation, you know. So you you just knew around the league, you know, where, where, the, where the stars were. Uh, we got, um, you came to our place. It had to be, it was your freshman year. And you came to our place, and your first base coach, Smoke. Um, Smoke Lavelle. Yep. Smoke Lavelle, and I'm sitting in the dugout like I always do, and then he kind of looks over in the dugout and looks at me and goes, this guy's as good as you are. And it was, <laughs> you, you, had, you, hadn't thrown, you hadn't thrown a pitch yet, and I'm just kind of going, all right. And he, you came out. I don't remember what the outcome was, but it was like I'm sitting in the dugout going, damn, all right, that's good <laughs> shit right there. Yeah, I kind of, you know, Everybody forgets, I didn't get out to base. My freshman year, I didn't get out to base. See, we went all the way to the Elite Eight my freshman year in basketball. So by the time I even stepped foot on the baseball field, we were already in conference play. And so I never even got the pre-SEC you know, the pre schedule. And then it took me a little time to get my arm. My legs obviously were in great shape because of basketball. But then it took me a little time to kind of get my, my feet under me, my arm strength going. So I really wasn't even a factor on the baseball team my freshman year, other than I came out of the bullpen uh, and had some relief, maybe one midweek start or something, you know. And it wasn't until really summertime in Alaska that I really started to reach my peak. And that was one reason why I quit playing basketball. I told Dale, was I, you know, I need to be out there for a full year to show everybody what, what I can do, you know. And I really wanted to make that – I knew the Olympic team was coming up and – that yeah. summer, and I was like, I really wanted to play there, and I knew if I played half a year of baseball, heck, I might not do good enough to to make the team. So that was one of the big reasons why I gave up basketball was to put a full year in to try to make the Olympic team. You know, dude, you were a no brainer for that team. You know, I I tell the story. Abbott was my roommate the year before on the Pan Am team, and he spent half the summer going telling me he's getting cut, and I'm looking at him going. <laughs> You're the Golden Spikes Award winner. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, dude, I'm the worst pitcher here. I'm getting cut. You know, and now I'm hearing you going, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make the Olympic team. I'm looking at you going, dude, you were one of the best players there. What are you talking about? Well, you know, he, you know, and I think everybody can relate to this. So I only played half my freshman year. I go to Alaska that summer, and I kind of came into my own in some ways. The velocity really picked up. I could always throw strikes. And so – I'm going back for my really my first year of full college at LSU to try to be a starter. And I started for the first time. And so, but I knew I had to have a good year and I, and I had an all American season, but then when you get to invited to where the best, I think 40 players in the country are, you still don't know how good you are. And I think every level we go up, whether it's from high school to college, you know, A ball to double A, double A to the big leagues, you start to wonder if you belong a little bit. And remember, I was a year younger than you guys. And so Andy Bennis was the first pick in the country. Jim Abbott was like the fourth pick in the country. And I'm an underclassman going back to school, and all you guys are going to play pro ball, you know. And I was so then you start to wonder, all right, am I do I do I belong in this group? And am, am I am I good enough? But then you start to stack your skills against the guys that are there. And once I got there for about three weeks and I, I room with Andy Bennis and, and Andy, I started thinking, okay, well, my fastball is as good or better than Andy Bennis's fastball. I'm saying this to myself. And then I go, my breaking ball is definitely better than Andy Bennis's. Yeah. And I got, a, I got a fork ball that's pretty good too. And he don't have one of those. And so I, then I started saying, well, 
okay, well, maybe I do belong at this level. You know, maybe I, maybe I am. Because until you can stack your talent up against the other guys that are there, you don't really know, you know. And that's oh, yeah. what I really believed at that point, that I had a real shot of playing in the major leagues. I had a real shot of being the first pick in the country the following year because I had a chance to stack my talents against Robin Ventura and pitch against him and some of the great players that was on that team. And you start to get confidence and know that, okay, yeah, okay, I, 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 I can compete at this level. No, great point. So, so you guys played, uh, Greg, with Frank Thomas and Ben with Albert Bell. Do you guys think, and I hope this isn't too much of a, off the path of where you guys are going, um, do you ever think of that White Sox team as a great what if when those two guys were together and it just never became much of anything? Because, I mean, that's got to be a pitcher's worst nightmare. Um, obviously, Cleveland was pretty stacked then, uh, as Greg can attest, both personally and then you know, both of you guys seeing from a distance. But uh, I feel like those two guys together in the big leagues, if somebody would have told you that 10 years before you, the thought, goodness sakes, they're going to they're gonna sweep their way to the pennant. Ben? I don't well, know. What, what years were they together? Well, and it was kind of late, too. I think it was 97. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up because I'm trying to remember, too. Because, yeah, I mean, Albert, Albert was the dominant piece of, you know, Cleveland. Then he went to the Orioles, I thought. I don't remember him being. Yeah, 97, 98. And then I think they tore it down. I think they tore it down halfway through that, uh, that 98 year that everybody got so mad about. Um, 80 and 81 in 87, or 97 under Terry Bevington. And then under Jerry Manuel the next year, 80, 82, and 1. Uh, I don't remember that tie, but whatever. Um, yeah, so they were a 500 ball club. And, and not only Frank Thomas and Albert Bell, but Robin Ventura could play. Ray Durham was coming into his own yeah. at that time. Um, they had a young Mike Cameron. Boy, I tell you what, um, you know, I think I have some of the old, uh, like the old um, Athlon Sports magazines. And boy, they thought that was just going to be incredible. And it just it never really got there. Yeah, I, you know, I remember that team, um, and I want to say offensively they, they were okay. Like, I, if I remember right there, pitching is what let them down a little bit in those years, you know. And, uh, you know, you know how it is in the big leagues. I mean, you, 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 you stack up talent on one side of the ball, but it, your talent's got to be able to do it on both sides of the ball to be a really a winning team, you know. And when we talk about lineups, you know, I, I always people always ask, that's a great question. They say, what's the what's – the, the best lineup you ever faced. And I always say, well, there were two of them that, that jumped out. Obviously, the, the late 80s, early 90s lineup of the Oakland A's, you know, and Greg knows them, but, you know, McGuire and Ricky Henderson and Conseco and Steinbach and Corny Lansford and Gaeg. I mean, they just had them all that were just a, a very tough lineup. Oh, and Dave, Dave, Hender Dave Henderson, too. Dave Henderson, you know, and, and then the other lineup for me that was the scariest and might have been the scariest of all was the Cleveland Indians lineup of mm -hmm. the mid-90s and where you had Lofton leading off and you had like Vizquel and Bayerga and Albert Bell and Alomar. And then there was a couple of guys at the back end that were very young. Yeah, there was a couple of guys at the back end that were very young to hit like in the six, seven hole or seven, eight hole. Some guy by the name of Tomei and Ramirez. You know, and those were, yeah, yeah two, two arguably Hall of Famers, right? Well, Tommy's already there, but Ramirez, who knows if he gets in. But, I mean, really in that lineup, when you think about it, 
I mean, you're talking about the Vizcal getting the Hall of Fame yet? Is he going to be in? But he could be in. Uh, I, I believe. Be in. Uh, I believe though. There's. So, uh, I think he's in, but then there's some issues with his off-field stuff. Oh yeah, that's right. But if you talk about Hall of Fame talent, what is there? There's Pomey, Ramirez, Vizcal, Bell. Who knows if Loft? I don't know if Lofton has the numbers to get in, but there's at least four Hall of Fame talent in that one lineup is what was in it, you know. And so that was a scary freaking lineup. You, I remember pitching seven, eight innings against those guys and giving up five runs and going, I had a pretty good outing today. I gave up five <laughs> runs in eight innings in Cleveland, you know. That's a pretty yeah. good outing. Oh, and don't forget they had Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray yeah. was in the middle of that. So that is five Hall of Fame talents. In one lineup. Eddie Murray was in the middle of that lineup, too. And so, right. yeah, it's like, I remember pitching going, I gave up four. Had, and, 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 hey, that's a they good had day. Winfield. They had Winfield on that team, too. For a minute. They you may know. have. But, yeah. No, in 1995, they had, they had Winfield. He was, a, remember the story there? The Twins traded him uh, right before the strike. We had a strike episode people should go back and check out. But um, for whatever reason, the trade couldn't be consummated, player to be named, whatever. So I believe the Cleveland officials bought the Minnesota officials dinner that night. And that was the official compensation for the Dave Winfield trade <laughs> was uh, probably, uh, probably a steak that, dinner. That was uh, not a player to be named later. That was a meal to be named later is what the trade yeah. was. Nice. Exactly. Well, nice. I think I saw Terry nice. Mulholland got traded for a buck one time. So I think I'd probably prefer to be a meal to be named later. Um, that, that'd be a fun. I got traded twice, and I swear, I swear, one of them had to be for a case of beer. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, well, be right. That's awesome. Go. Oh, I thought you were going to take off here on us for a minute. Um, no, well, I got, I got a second. Time out. No problem. Keep going. Uh, well, Ben, I, I wanted to ask you um, the the workload you had at LSU. That last year, you threw 152 innings. And, um, you know, things have changed in terms of college workload, in terms of pro workload. Um, they're more concerned with that. Uh, does any part of you remember at the time or now thinking, hey, this might be too much? Or was it just kind of this is where I want to be? This is what I got to do. And then we'll get we'll, move, we'll t- deal with what's next. Next. Did you even think about it at all? Yes and no. Um and I get asked this one a lot, you know, uh, as a competitor, and I was uber competitive. And coach says, can you give me an inning? Can you pitch? And the answer was always, you damn right, I'll figure it out. I'll figure out a way as a competitor. And that was some of my downfall. Like, I wasn't as smart as Mike Messina. I watched Mike Messina come off the mound when we were in Baltimore, and he would just come in from the field and give the manager one of these and walk straight to the clubhouse. Like he would take himself out of games because he knew he was out of gas or he was hurting a little bit, and it was time to come out of the ballgame. I wasn't that smart. Like, you couldn't get me out of a ballgame. And as a competitor, you want to go pitch. And people ask me that all the time. You know, I threw 352 innings in 17 months in college. Uh, you go back to my sophomore year at LSU, straight to the Olympic team that summer where I threw 80 innings during the summertime, Back to LSU my junior year, you mentioned, for 150 innings. So it was 350 innings in 16 or 17 months. Looking back on it, yeah, it was suicide. And that's the reason why my shoulder gave out like it did 
uh, I was probably fortunate to get a nine big league, you know, big league career, nine year career out of it. It was just too much throwing. And a lot of it at LSU was five different times. I threw nine on Saturday and closed on Sunday. I had five saves my junior year. I threw 150 pitches and the next day I go close the ball game out. Um, you know, in high school, I pitched every pitch of a 13 inning game uh, in the state semifinals through 225 pitches closed the next day for the state championship. Um, so I did a lot of those kind of things. I think it got me where I, where I eventually ended up being a competitor that I was, but there's no doubt that that's what did damage to my shoulder. And, you know, I don't tell many people this, but I'm going to tell you guys, Skip Bertman came to me and, and it's very emotional for me, but he came to me last year as he's getting older and said, I just want to apologize. And I said, coach apologize for what he's like, I probably pitched you too much. You know, and I said, Coach, that's water under the bridge. I said, it, it, it's nobody's fault. That's, I mean, I always tell people I wasn't the only one doing it. You can go down to Kirk Dresseldorf over in Texas. He was throwing the same innings I was throwing. We were a product of our times. People say, well, you were abused. And I say, no, I wasn't abused. I was a product of my time. If we knew then what we know now, of course, we would have taken better care of ourselves. But I always tell people, look at Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg as a youth player was coddled and watched and counted as much as you could be coddled, watched, and counted to take care of. He still blew out, too, blew out his elbow. Um, now, he's had a hell of a career, obviously. He didn't pitch this year because of corporal tone and whatever else he's got going on, but a uh, hell of a talent. But sometimes you do everything right, it can still end up wrong. But there's definitely no doubt that we know a lot more now about arm care, and and look, it happened at the big league level too. Don't think it didn't happen then too, you know. And and I have I remember Johnny Oates. Uh, I was in Boston and I had thrown like six innings and we had a two and a half hour rain delay. This would have been like in '94 maybe. And um, Dick Bosman came to me two hours into it and goes, Johnny needs you to go back out. I was like, Bosman, I got 90 pitches, dude. I've thrown six innings. It's two and a half hours since we've been on the field. Yeah, but the bullpen got beat up the last two days. We need you to go out and pitch. I was too dumb. I was like, okay, give me the ball. I'll go pitch. Go out there, warm up again. Andre Dawson hit one in the first inning at, at Fenway Park over the monster. This probably still hadn't freaking landed 30 years later. I gave up three runs, but I pitched two more innings to get them, save the bullpen a little bit. My arm stayed sore for the next month. Didn't take no time off, kept pitching, but the results weren't there. So, if I could go back and do it over again, I probably would change a few things. I'd be a little bit smarter about taking myself out of ball games, but it just wasn't in my makeup. It wasn't in my DNA. It's not how I was raised. It's just like, yeah, you challenge me to do something, I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to go get it done, you know, and that's just kind of person I was. Well, and I think when, when people lament the, the lack of a Nolan Ryan in today's game, um, people don't realize, too, and this is my theory. If you guys disagree, please let me know. Uh, in those days and in the days pre-Tommy John or even in early Tommy John before it was as effective as it was, um, pitching was almost like going to war. Once you were, once that elbow gave out, they just left you by the side of the road. They didn't give you a year to rehab and come back. It was, well, I guess he's done. And so the guys who could survive did. You know, there were fewer teams back then, so there, weren't, there wasn't the demand for uh, 30 teams and, and 16 to 18 pitchers at any given time based on taxi squads and triple a guys who are close 
So the demand on the populace of capable big league starters at any given time wasn't as big. I just, I think that it was a, a, a product of the time. And I think too, that um, they, that's just not required anymore. We're more aware of what can and can't work. And those guys still exist. Maybe Justin Verlander was the, the Nolan Ryan of this era or Max mm. Scherzer, but we just don't know because we don't have to have that barbaric pitch until you can't pitch any more mentality, which has, um, you know, slowly drifted away from our consciousness at this time. Well, I mean, Ben, Ben was a part of the, you know, we, I came up with a five man bullpen, you know, and when I was doing Orioles games last year, there were times they had a 10 man bullpen. It's just, it's a, it's a completely different world. And I think, you know, guys, and I told the story about, you know, when the game kind of changed in about 90, 91, where the money started to get into the $3 million market. And, you know, all of a sudden it was hard to throw in because guys were so aware of, you know, possibly getting hurt. And, you know, now you look and, and I think management's so aware of the players and the salaries and the money that's being made that they're cautious for the players as much as the players are cautious. But, you know, you and I talked, I, you know, I, I blew out and walked in first time in my life, walked into Johnny Oates's office and said, man, I, I need a couple of days off. I'm, I'm, I'm shot. And um, he asked me to give him one more day. And that was when I blew my elbow out in 93. And then you told me, you know, 94, it was kind of the same thing. Hey, mm -hmm. can you, you know, can you go back out there and, and, you know, ended up being the end of your year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's sad, you know, but when money's on the line and managers have to win to keep their job, it, it always filters down to the players and it's up to the players. And I'm going to tell you, I, tell, I say this in a funny way, but it's so true. The worst problem we had on those Oriole teams were we played with the Iron Man. Yeah. And, and damn it. When you see a dude go out there every stinking day, and he's hurt because we saw him busted up ankles, swole up knees, busted up ribs, hurt wrists, whatever, broken finger. Junior answered the bell. Obviously, he's the Iron Man. And when you're on a team like that, you feel bad about walking into the manager's office and say, look, my stuff's a little sore today. I'm going to need a day off. You feel bad about going in because you got this guy sitting over here that played in 2,600 and something consecutive games. And so that was not a good thing, although he set a good example for everybody, obviously. But – I think it was a little bit embarrassing to to feel like you needed to go on the IL or you now today's games changed so much as like they just put guys on the IL to put them on the IL now like it's the craziest stuff I've ever seen the starting pitchers now are averaging four and a third four and two thirds like we were just getting warmed up at four and a third you know and but that's they're janking them out of the ball games at four and two thirds which is the reason why like you said you don't have five man bullpens anymore you got to have eight and ten man bullpens because our starters are only giving us four and a third every time out, you know? And so the game's change. We know more. There's still the one thing that, that, that I am com complex about, I don't understand is in our time, most of the time, if nine, 10 guys went down, like eight, eight out of 10 were shoulder issues, you know, in today's world, if 10 guys go down, eight out of 10 are elbow issues. You know, it's like the, the elbow thing is like off the hook right now. Now, the, the, the silver lining of that is Tommy John is the one everybody comes back from, right? You know I mean? You tear the labrum yeah. and the cuff like I did. Like I, like I tore everything in there you could tear. 
guys don't come back from that, and they're still not coming back from that today. But they are coming back from the Tommy Johns. That seems to be the one. Like, you walk to a big league – and you walk to a college clubhouse today. I mean, there's a scar on yeah. just about on every other pitcher. Like, it, it's crazy to me that what's going on out there. So I can't put a finger on why other than I think – our youth league level one, or we're, we're creating velocities that ligaments and tendons can't sustain at such a young age. Uh, and I also think there's a lot of kids, you know, probably playing too much. You know, when Greg was a multi-sport athlete like I was, uh, I got away from baseball after about four months of it, went and did something else. There's a lot of kids playing, you know, almost year-round now, and I think that that can be a bad thing too. I think you nailed it, and I think the other piece, you know, it's the max, it's the max velocities you know, um, on the mound as well as the max velocity on the breaking ball. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's not trying to locate a slider. It's no. man, I, I'm trying to throw the slider 92 miles an hour yeah. and elbows just are going. Yeah, no, that was I mean, yeah. that was why I blew out was trying to max out my my curveball and yeah. throw and turn. And yeah, OK, I could throw it at 85 miles an hour. It blew me out. And it wasn't, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a. And that, that's the game that they're in today, though. That's the game that they're telling the starters now, hey, I don't care if you get 80 pitches in, you give me max effort for 80 pitches. And when I talked to some of the Oriole, uh, even college pitchers and even some of the Oriole pitchers that asked me, I was like, dude, we never, as a starter, we never pitched at max effort. I would cruise along at 90% max effort. Now, when I got a runner out at second base and it was one out or two out, then I had to turn the switch up. And it would be max effort to the next hitter until I got myself out of that jam. Then it was back to pitching at 90%. But I feel like somewhere along the baseball about five years ago, two ground outs and a pop-up became a bad bad inning for a pitcher. And I don't know where we got (laughs) – I don't know why that happened, but it's almost like everything has to be swing and miss now. And I totally disagree with all of it. There's a place for a swing and miss. When you got the guy at third base, this less than two out, I need a strikeout. I got to punch a guy out. I get that. But it's almost it's all swing and miss from the beginning now. And two ground outs and a pop-up is not a bad inning. It's almost like we got to punch out two, we got to walk two, and we got to get a fly ball. And that, that's, that's our inning today. That way our pitch count is 21 pitches after one inning, and that's why you're out of the ball game after four because you didn't get those two ground balls that pop out. So we're scared to pitch to contact now. I know why. I think more balls are flying out of the ballpark, obviously, and so guys don't want anybody putting the barrel on the ball. Uh, but if you make your pitches and you can pitch, there's a place. People always argue with me all the time. Greg Maddox would never do well in today's game. B.S. Oh. B.S. Oh. to everybody. It's like he only threw 88 miles an hour. He would not do well in today's game. B.S. He'd still be a Hall of Famer because, you know what, you would never hit it on the barrel. You know, and he'd strike out guys left and right because guys are striking out now. So I don't want to hear people tell me that. Greg Max would do great. Tom Glavin would do great yeah. in today's game. There's no doubt. It's just our game is turning to a power. I'm going to – here's the way I describe it. I'm going to outstuff you. So we worked on – you worked on throwing your breaking ball down the way. Now the game has changed where just throw your breaking ball. But your breaking ball is so good, we're going to outstuff them today. So I'm not worried about you hitting spots. Don't worry about throw your fastball from the center part of the plate because it's 97. It's got a high spin rate to it. You're going to outstuff, guys. So we're getting to now. Let's not worry about hitting spots. We're going to outstuff everybody. That's kind of where the game's gotten, especially when you see over the back end of bullpens now across big league baseball. It's like everybody's coming out with 
a wipeout slider and a you know upper nineties fastball that's got some spin rate to it. That's what you see come out of these bullpens now. Yeah. No, I, I laugh at the the Maddox uh, analogy was perfect because it's like Maddox would be carving people up. He'd be embarrassing he, he would, people. He would, he would be doing better than he did when he was pitching for the Braves in the in the nineties. He really. I would. don't disagree. I mean, I see. You know, I mean, G Man Choi. We see all these Hyun Jin Ryu is the guy I'm thinking of uh, with Toronto. He throws 88, 89 from the left side. He's had a great big league career. You know, I mean, you go down, there's still guys that are doing very well with well below big league average fastballs because they can pick. They can use all their stuff. They can change speeds. They can pitch backwards. They can do that. That part is never going to leave our game. If you can do those things at the big league level, you're going to have success, you know, but it's not where we're at. We want that. We want that big fastball and that wipeout slider or breaking ball. That's what we want now, you know. And so it is what it is. No, I, I think I think the only way it leaves the game right now is if scouts quit drafting these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. where they they're not even in the game. They they don't have a chance to get into the system at all. Is the only yeah. way that. But I totally agree. Brandon, what do you got? Well, and Zach Greinke comes to mind for a modern pitcher who can do all that. There you go. Um, he's, yeah. he's, Right-hander, too. That's right. That's right. So it kind of reminds me, two of threes in basketball now where everybody's just shooting the three. Nobody's uh, nobody's grinding out in the paint and, and that sort of thing. Um, right. Here's what I want to do. A uh, lot of meat left on the bone, but we're coming up on time here. Ben, can we get you on again here soon? Because you have so much left to talk about with us. We'd love to have you back on again real soon. But um, I hope we can get you at some point here in the next, uh, not too long. Yeah. Look, for, I'd love to be back with you guys. I got to run to Baltimore for, uh, finish out the season. And after that, I'm all your guys. That'd be great. Well, okay. That'd be so great. Be, before we let you guys go, I just want to know what's one thing from the era you played in that you wish was still happening in baseball today. Um, and I'm going to leave it open-ended. I don't, it doesn't have to be anything specific in terms of on field, off field, whatever open-ended because I want you guys to, to go in any direction you want. You know, I'll start uh, Ben. If you don't, go ahead. you don't mind. No, I mean, for me, it's, uh, it was uh, the best, the best thing about the game was the clubhouse. It was, we had no cell phones, you know, I don't know when cell phones came in 95, 96, whatever it was, but you know, it was hanging out in the clubhouse with Cal Ripken and Ben McDonald, Sutcliffe, and, you know, sitting around for two hours talking about the baseball game and then going home, you know, and then next day walk in and same guys, play some cards, hang out. You know, Ben would mess with some people other than Albert. And, <laughs> you know, you go out and you play baseball with your with your, your buddies and then it's, you know, sit around after the game and talk about the game again and, and rinse and repeat. And there was no cell phones, nowhere to go you know, nothing was taking my mind off of what was going to be happening in that, in that room. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, it's, it's, and I get it because of COVID, but I mean, guys or last year, rather guys are literally, the game is over and guys are out of the clubhouse 10 minutes later. Like that's how fast guys are getting out of the clubhouse in today's world. You know, I see it all the time. And, uh, you know, and I got when you're at home and we didn't hang out in the clubhouse as much at home because we had our families at home. We want to get home yeah. to the kids or get home to your wife. So at home, it's a little bit different. But on the road, like Ole's saying, on the road, man, we had nowhere to go. Um, and there was nothing to sit around and, and 
and drink a few beers and talk about the ball game and talk about whatever, play cards. I mean, that was our life. That's what we did. And now it's just, it, it's, it's a lot different now than what it was. And I'm not going to say that they don't have a close group because I think a lot of the teams out there do have close groups, but we were a really close group because we spent a lot of time together. We invested in each other and we pulled for each other along the way. And I think some of that's missing in today's game. You know, it, it almost feels like in today's game, there's a lot of players that play for the, you know, the name on the back of the jersey instead of the name on the front of the jersey. And I feel like that's kind of where we are in some aspects or where we are in baseball. I still love the game of baseball. I still love big league baseball. Uh, it just feels like it's a little bit different than what it used to be. Some people would say it's different and it's better. Uh, I would disagree in some ways. I think the game's a little bit different to me where I feel like there's more strikeouts and more home runs. I don't see many guys making an effort to move a guy from second over to third base with less than two out. You don't see that much anymore. So the game's changed in some ways, but it's still a hell of a game. It's still a hell of a game. Nailed it. Well, and I don't want to out Oli too much here. I don't know if I can even call you Oli. That's probably not fair. Um, I haven't asked for permission. Okay. Uh, did he invite you to the uh, the the after the after parties at the Metronome where he and the the Ripken boys would play ball on the? No, it, I never got to go. He was the one that was playing. Okay, got it. Okay, I, I had to ask because uh, Metronome is where I saw my first big league game and still has some fond memories for me. Obviously, you as a player, Greg, you loved pitching there. I know. Um, Tongue in cheek, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to see if, if you got invited or if it was uh, a very exclusive. No, that was club. that was ben, that was Ben and the Ripken boys. We'll have to uh, we'll have to pull that story up. That's a good story. Yeah, that's a good one, along with the uh, the Ripken calling my pitches story. So we'll have to pull those two up next time. Those are those are two pretty two entertaining stories. I'd love to feel like we we kept you kept you long enough. Brother. Yes, really can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Well, and Any I had a time guys. I enjoyed it. I had a front page of notes and a back page of notes and we got through about a quarter of a page. So thank you so much, Ben, for your time today. Uh, obviously Greg every week at Greg Olson 30 on Twitter at real Ben McDonald, very entertaining on Twitter again, Ben. And of course you too, Greg, thank you guys so much for your time today. Um, we'll talk again soon. Hopefully Ben in the near future and obviously Greg uh, next week. Yep. Ben, thank you. Safe travels back to Baltimore. Thank you, guys. All right. right. You've been been listening to that 90s baseball pod powered by Access Twins. We'll catch you next week.